of Jesus. This next slide shows a graph. The numbers will not be readable, but it's the most up-to-date graph that I could find. And what this graph shows is that it shows the number of divorced people living in Canada between the years of 2000 and 2018. And the numbers are approximate, like, I'll, I'll be approximate. In 2000, 2 million people in Canada had been divorced. And in 2018, 3 million. And so we recognize that, you know, it's, it's on the increase. But um, the truth of the matter is that actually that, those numbers are going to start to decrease. And um, this is not good news. Um, it's more uh, likely that the numbers will decrease because fewer and fewer people are actually getting married. So um, uh, these sorts of statistics will not really be that telling after a while because of uh, how things are going. And, you know, we, we don't need graphs and um, charts to, to um, indicate how devastated the institution of marriage is in our country. Um, I don't know if you knew this, but Jesus was very concerned about the state of marriage in Israel. And so in this uh, wonderful sermon that we've been going through, we have these words of Jesus in Matthew 5. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. It's really important that we approach this subject and these words, really, uh, understanding their context. Firstly, let's remember the context within the sermon, and then we're going to take a look at the context within the Jewish culture at the time of Jesus. This statement of Jesus about divorce falls right on the heels of Jesus' teaching about true righteousness. Being something that the Pharisees had espoused, but and actually claimed to have mastered. Um, but true righteousness was not what was being espoused by the Pharisees. The general public had an understanding that righteousness could be achieved through obeying the letter of Mosaic law. And if you remember last week, we, we looked at the fact that Jesus just blew apart that understanding when he demonstrated by referencing the two sins of murder and adultery. And he said that the unseen sin of hatred and lust are just as abhorrent to God, are just as much sin, even if they can't be readily seen to the naked eye. That unlike the example of the religious leaders, righteousness was not achieved through obeying just the letter of the law. Righteousness 
was only achieved if you could perfectly obey both the letter of the law and the spirit of the law. And so murder was obviously outlawed and it was in the letter. But the spirit of that, what caused murder was hatred. And that hatred was as abhorrent to God as the actual act of murder. So Jesus' teaching on divorce needs to be taken in the same vein. He makes reference, and we'll be a little bit clear about this in a second, he makes reference to the certificates of divorce. And so Jesus' teaching on divorce is given in that same vein that certificates of divorce were not some great panacea that would cover over the sins of the heart that led to divorce. The sin of hatred, the sin of indifference, the sin of lust, and ultimately the sin of adultery. They were not covered over because you could go down to the temple and get from a Pharisee or get from one of the elders or from a priest or someone a certificate of divorce. And so this is the context. Jesus was talking about murder and hatred, adultery and lust, and now he's talking about certificates of divorce. <laughs> he's talking about divorce, but he's getting to the true heart of the matter. See, within the Jewish community, there was a lot of debate, just as there is today. I won't say less so than ever, but still today. Debate over who should qualify for one of these certificates of divorce. There were those who belonged to a school of thought. Was there, the, the teacher was a guy called Shemay. And Shemay was conservative, and, and he was less popular than the next guy, we'll say. But he, he claimed that a certificate of divorce would only been given if there was marital unfaithfulness, sexual unfaithfulness in a marriage. But the far more popular teaching of the day, and you can understand why, was from Rabbi Hillel. And he suggested that a certificate of divorce could be granted for many reasons. Even poor cooking. <laughs> at a much, not a much later time, but at a later time, um, Jesus was brought into this debate. After he made this very very strong statement in the Sermon on the Mount about divorce. He was brought into this debate by the Pharisees. And we read about this in Matthew 19. I'm just going to start by reading a few of the verses. When Jesus had finished saying these things, he left Galilee and went into the region of Judea to the other side of the Jordan. 
large crowds followed him and he, and he healed them there. Some Pharisees came to him to test him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? So there's the debate, right? How do you get a certificate of divorce? Should they be handed out freely? Or should it only be in the serious case of sexual impurity, unfaithfulness? How is this a test? The, the Pharisees would have known the statement that Jesus made in the Sermon on the Mount. They knew his position, and that was that the only acceptable justification for divorce was sexual unfaithfulness on the part of one of the parties. They naively figured that Jesus had put himself between a rock and a hard place. Jesus had said that he'd come to fulfill the law and to not abolish it, yet the law did make allowance for certificates of divorce <clears throat> and for divorce. This is the allowance in Deuteronomy 24, we read it. If a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her, and he writes her certificate of divorce, gives to her, and sends her from his house. And if after she leaves his house, she becomes the wife of another man, and her second husband dislikes her, and writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her, and sends her from his house, or if he dies, then her first husband who divorced her is not allowed to marry her again after she had been defiled. That would be detestable in the eyes of the Lord. Do not bring sin upon the land the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. You see, many of the Pharisees had taken the term indecent as a, an ambiguous kind of catch-all term that could be applied liberally. William Luck says the Pharisees when they were testing Jesus, they were reflecting upon the prior teachings of Jesus, what Jesus said in the sermon, and thought that they had found a place where he disagreed with Moses. They thus sought to drive a wedge between Jesus and the law. You, you remember that he had already said some disparaging things about the Pharisees. <laughs> and so they are like, we are going to find a wedge issue. <laughs> Because we need to make sure that people understand that, 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 that Jesus is a heretic. And you shouldn't listen to him. Thus, they were trying to discredit him with the people, showing his earlier words did abrogate or violate the law. Their question again is, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason. You see, the, G the Pharisees reasoned this. If Jesus said, yes, it is lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and other reason, he would have contradicted himself from what he originally said on the Sermon on the Mount. And if Jesus said, no, it is not lawful to divorce your wife for any, another re any other reason, 
he would be open to accusations of not supporting the very law that he said he didn't come to abolish, but to fulfill. And so they really figured they had him between a rock and a hard place. Be sure, God is never between a rock and a hard place. Never. And Jesus Christ was God incarnate. He spoke with authority on these issues. And over and over again, we see Jesus trying, the Pharisees trying to trap him, and him just being God, <laughs> perfectly getting out of what we would consider a no-win situation and making an amazing, brilliant point out of it. Look how he navigates this particular trap of the Pharisees. He takes his listeners to the heart of the matter, the sanctity of marriage, with the authority that only he could bring to that topic. Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. You see here the, 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 the way that Jesus holds up the ir irreversible, permanent nature of marriage. God considers a married couple one flesh. This is why when you go to weddings and they do those crazy little things, and no offense if you did them in your wedding. <laughs> Too late. <laughs> but you know, the things like the sand ceremony, right? The unity sand thing, right? Where you're, you're getting sand representing the, the, the husband and uh, sand representing the bride and they pour it together and it becomes, like, you can't separate that. You can't separate, I think Deborah did that. <laughs> Sorry, Deborah. It's awesome. <laughs> oh, yeah. Together you do. That's good, because you're one flesh. Good. <laughs> I gotta watch what I say. Melanie did that too. Melanie did too. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I know, everybody knows. <laughs> But it symbolizes that, that new bottle of sand that is a combination of two. You can't separate them out, right? That They're one. And this is how God sees marriage. He sees it as a permanent and lasting, irreversible union. But there's you so see, much now that goes on that surely... He doesn't want one or the other, you know, Amen. going through. Hang in there. Listen to the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> I need to retain my thought. <laughs> you see, the more popular view at the time of Christ was that men had the unquestioned privilege of maintaining spouses who tickled their fancy. That's the bottom line. 
It was a male policy. It was a misogynist policy. It wasn't like women could go get certificates of divorces. It was just that men could go get them, right? So, they figured because the Mosaic Law allowed for certificates of divorce, it was lawful for them to do what they were doing. Now, once again, remember, what is the context? Jesus is talking about true righteousness, a righteousness that is more than skin deep. Certificates of divorce did not justify the myriad reasons that people would come to the Pharisee to get a certificate of divorce for, like cooking. That was never the intention. God's intention actually is beautifully spoken to by the Apostle Paul. Paul speaks to God's ideal for marriage, which is a mutually beneficial relationship in which both husband and wife serve the needs of their spouse. After we do this in premarital counseling, we look around the triangle, me and the couple, and we agree there's, if, if, if actually we approach marriage the way it was designed to be approached, the way God has designed it, that you, essentially you're in a competition to outblast the other person. Divorce is just a, rem like, doesn't even make sense in that relationship or in that situation. Look what Paul wrote. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her, washing her with water through the word, and to represent her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies, one flesh. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. That respecting husband comes out of the fact that they have a husband who's trying his best to be like Christ to the church, which means laying down his life for his spouse. It's an incredible picture. It's an amazing design for marriage. The Pharisees were encouraging a very shallow, self-centered, misogynist form of marriage by recklessly just distributing certificates of divorce. This explains the rest of this record of the account in Matthew 19, the testing of Jesus around divorce. 
Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? I could just hear them saying that, sort of like, ha, ha, we've got you. You say you're for the law, but you have this narrow view of the certificates of divorce. You don't support the law. Moses gave out certificates of divorce. Jesus replied, and I love this. <laughs> Here is the author of marriage. Right? The very author of the design of marriage. The very one who made Adam and Eve and brought them into a marriage. Inst instituted marriage. He says these words. Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. That speaks to me of a few things. It speaks to me of the sanctity of marriage. And it also speaks to me about the profound significance of sex. Right? In our world, hooking up is such... It's not even... There's no barrier anymore to that. I mean, there's, there's no one condemning it. There's nothing wrong with that. Nobody's getting hurt. God says that sex is such an intimate and significant act that if you do that in your marriage, yeah, you could ask for a certificate of divorce. It's that significant. So we see in, in Christ's comments about divorce a call to uphold the sanctity of marriage by severely limiting the justification for divorce and the issuance of certificates of divorce. Jesus points out the hypocrisy of the notion that a certificate of divorce justifies the disillusion of a holy covenant. You'll love this. He points out that the Pharisees, ignoring the spirit of the law, championed their corrupted interpretation of the law, just freely handing out certificates of divorce, and used them as a loophole to indulge their sin natures. You want to know how messed up things were in this regard within the Jewish culture, just look to how his disciples reacted. It makes me laugh when I read it. The disciples said, if this is the situation between a husband and wife, it's better not to marry. <laughs> Do you understand what he's saying there? He's saying, if you can't easily divorce your wife and remarry, why would you ever get married? Do you understand how bizarre that thought is when you consider how God sees marriage? 
Are you kidding me? Unless your righteousness surpasses that of the righteousness of the Pharisees. What to do about this teaching? And then I'll take your question. Hey, Krista? Because I just sort of need to get through this. Um, our Western culture has an absolutely diminished view of God's design for marriage. Divorce is common and cohabitating outside of marriage is on the increase, <coughs> both diminishing the sanctity of marriage. God created marriage for our benefit and assigns infinitely more significance to it than our culture does. We need to follow his design for marriage. If we do, divorce is hard to conceive, quite frankly. Our myriad rationales for divorce, so many, are not unlike the thinking that made certificates of divorces as easy to get as explaining your wife is a poor crook. And so our rationales for divorce do not justify what ultimately will be the consequence in God's eyes, and that is adultery. Some of us here are divorced. Some are divorced and remarried. Your circumstances surrounding divorce are well known to you, of course, and to God. You may have been a victim of an unfaithful spouse. You may have been the unfaithful spouse. And your divorce may have been purchased through a reason that's just not acceptable. <clears throat> I want you to know that God isn't like us. He is faithful. <laughs> and he will forgive us if we have done something that has resulted in divorce. Some of us have children who are violating the will of God as it relates to sexual uh, relations, immorality, unfaithfulness. We should not acquiesce to this affront on God's perfect design. We should be champions of God's perfect design. But we should reinforce lovingly the importance of marriage to God and its sanctity. Perhaps you're here and you've never been divorced. And for some reason you look down on those who have been divorced. <laughs> you've totally missed the message for the past three days, three Sundays. Because yeah, you might not have been divorced. Dollars to donuts, there's something in your life 
that you should be condemned for, but for the grace of God. So having an arrogance about it, or looking down on others, is ridiculous. <coughs> Jesus is saying in this sermon that God hates divorce, that divorce should only be considered in a situation of marital unfaithfulness. And that we should champion and pursue relationships that are in keeping with God's ultimate design, which is entirely about serving your spouse selflessly and loving them. Now, Krista, you... You had said that, yeah, but there are situations. Do you, I cut you off, so continue your thought there, if you want. Um, well, I guess knowing what a forgiving and loving God he is, you know, I mean, there, there are women that, are beaten their whole marriage Absolutely. or whatever. Um, you know, in, in my case, I just it was it was mental, mm -hmm. you know, abuse and um, we ended up not divorced though. So I'm widow. So I guess I'm okay there. <laughs> so, Krista, you understand that where Jesus is coming from when he says these things is from addressing essentially addressing a practice of handing out certificates of divorce willy-nilly because men like to keep young women essentially who cook well apparently <laughs> I guess I don't get the one where They divorced and then she married and he divorced her, but she wasn't allowed to go back to the first and remarry. Yeah, and that, that's in Deuteronomy. And that speaks to me more than anything about this idea of the sanctity of sexuality, too. And, and that speaks to um, moral purity, I think, more than anything. But I, I, I don't I don't want you to discount what's been said based on that because we would need to go into that and, and, and study it more deeply and more thoroughly before we could sort of uh, even maybe arrive at that question uh, because some things in scripture really do require a, a lot of investigation before you come away with the answer. I was reading, for instance, a, a, a parable this week on this. Uh, that Jesus spoke, and you guys know it as the shrewd manager, and, and it's a really interesting story. There's this, uh, there's this, this rich guy, and he's got a manager who takes care of his wealth, but he's corrupt. And um, so the, the 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 rich guy finds out that his his manager's corrupt, and he says, "You're fired." And so the guy, so the guy, what the, the guy does, the manager, he goes out to all the people that own 
that own the master, own his master's, owe his master's stuff. And he says, how much do you owe the master? And the guy says, well, I don't know, 100 gallons of oil. And he says, here, just cut that in half. See what he's doing there? He's, he's just trying to win the favor, just like the Pharisees are trying to win the favor uh, on this issue of divorce. They're trying to stay in the good books because men don't want to be told that they can't do what they want. So um, he's just trying to stay in his good books. But the really interesting thing about that is that at the end of that, the master commends the manager and says, that was really shrewd. Is that to say, though, that the, the rich guy is actually saying perpetuate that type of behavior? Not at all. But it is shrewd. So you, have to, you really have to go into depth in these things. So I don't want you to take things out of, out of perspective. Yeah, as far as abusive relationships and stuff, well, that's obviously, you know, God doesn't want you to stay in an abusive relationship. You know, this is, this is, this is a reaction to, or people just taking marriage so lightly. Yeah, a widow and a widower, which to me, that says that a widow, somebody that was widowed and a widower, and they need to That's great. Yeah, so, um, and, and, and people just have to kind of look at this and, and see it uh, from the way God is presenting it to you. So if, if you, for instance, are a divorced person, then, you know, you need to work through this idea that God has about the sanctity of marriage and the fact that um, divorce should not be entered into lightly. <laughs> But we do so knowing that God is a gracious God and a loving God, and, and He will forgive, forgive us. You know, and I remember I grew up in the church, and they would, you know, they would basically say, "Oh, well, that marriage there is, is not, uh, it's not lawful, because that guy was divorced before, and that that marriage isn't lawful. They're not married." Well, how do you do that? <laughs> I mean, God. We have to, we have to, we have to uh, listen to God on this. It could be that if somebody was inappropriate in a divorce, <laughs> it could be that they need to ask forgiveness, and they might even need forgiveness from their estranged partner. Right? When you come into the truth, there might be a cost. For you. And then you have to kind of, hey, I was a jerk. I am sorry. I've given my heart to Christ and I know that what I did was totally wrong. I'm sorry. Yeah? So, we could go into a lot more details. However, I really want us to understand this from the context in which it was given, and I want us to understand how precious marriage is in God's eyes, and how precious sex is in God's eyes, and that it is not to be sort of just engaged in 
at will. I, I love what Malachi said. Has not the one God made you? You belong to him in body and spirit. And what does the one God seek? Godly offspring. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. The man who hates and divorces his wife, says the Lord, the God of Israel, does violence to the one he should protect, says the Lord Almighty. So be on guard and do not be unfaithful. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for your word. Thank you for the beauty of this institution called marriage. Lord, help us to be champions in our world for marriage as you have designed it. Help us to be beacons. Help us to provide guidance if it's asked for in regard to this. And help us, Lord, to know that you are a gracious and loving God. And if we have gone wrong in this area, that we can come to you and you will forgive. And perhaps that we would need to be open to anything else that you would ask us to do. So, Lord, we thank you, Lord, that you are calling us to a righteousness that is or have called us to a righteousness that exceeds that of the Pharisees, a righteousness that has been given to us through Christ. And we can be shining examples of what you want in all facets of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.